HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, listener. How are you feeling? Need a boost of energy? Magic Mind is an innovative drink with matcha and 12 functional ingredients to help you focus and combat stress. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I know everyone is eagerly awaiting the next episode of Tech Bites, the show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today, that intersection is in a shipping container. A shipping container, a big old metal shipping container, the kind you see on a train or in the movies, on the big boats. Maybe you've seen them, you know, you drive around town, there's one on the side of the road or at the docks. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network Studios are two repurposed shipping containers? I'm feeling a little nostalgic for our studio because it's been almost three years since I've recorded an episode in the studio. In March of 2020, when everyone needed to shelter in place because of the coronavirus pandemic, we started recording Tech Bytes on Zencaster remotely, which is how we're coming to you today. But before that, when we started the show back in January of 2015, we were in the studio. So I thought it would be great to do an episode about what people are doing in shipping containers. It's kind of fascinating. It's an interesting idea. And We'll, we'll, we'll see a little bit more in, uh, later in the show, um, some of the applications for it and um, what the future looks like. But before we get to the future, I want to talk a little bit about the past. Heritage Radio Network started back in 2009. Um, been on the air for a long time. We produce 40 shows a week. We have over 15,000 episodes in our archives at heritageradionetwork.org. And... It's worth noting that Heritage Radio Network Studios sit inside Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So if you've ever been to Roberta's Pizza or you plan on going and you're sitting in one of the dining rooms, you may notice that you see a shipping container with a plate glass window in it, and that is our studio. It's actually two shipping containers that converge um, together as an L. You walk in the long side of one. The first thing you encounter is the actual engineering recording equipment, the soundboard, which is typically manned by Matt Patterson, who's with us today. He's always with us. He's the engineer for the show. He's also the head of production for Heritage Radio Network. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like having a studio in a shipping container? And do you miss it? First question, (laughs) studio shipping container, practicalities and intel. Part two, do you miss being in the stuffy little dark container? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, I'll go in reverse order. Uh, do I miss it? I was just in, I was in the studio on Friday. Um, I love the smell. Cause like, so what people maybe are not envisioning is that the interior of the shipping container is, uh, I think it's all like cedar. I don't know. It smells really good. Um, it's all wood, uh, on all four sides and, um, it's quite cozy and nice, and it works reasonably well as a uh, recording studio. I mean, the thing that can be a little tricky is uh, being 
smack dab in the middle of what is a pretty raucous restaurant sometimes um especially if they're like having some sort of party in the backyard of roberto's which is behind uh, isn't there always a party in the backyard it's called the tiki bar well there's there's a party and then there's a party uh when they when they decide to throw what qualifies as a roberta's party it suddenly becomes basically impossible to record anything uh but that happens actually quite reasonably rarely uh well certainly now uh and yeah otherwise there's just like a little sometimes you know there's an ebb and a flow to the the din from the diners but it's um it's a nice place to record and it's like you can fit a good number of people in there uh we normally have we have four microphones set up around a little table uh in the live room which looks out onto the sort of terraced patio area at roberto's and um yeah, I don't know. You know, Jimmy from Beer Sessions is probably the person who pushes the envelope on how many people we can get in there at once. He so frequently got like <laughs> 10 people in there flinging beers around or whatever. Uh, I think you've, you have at times been after Jimmy's show. It's uh, maybe I not have. the ideal time to come into the studio. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I do miss the studio. It's a good place to work. Definitely the timing of the show makes a difference in terms of how much and what kind of ambient noise you hear during the recording. When I first started, the show was always at 10 o'clock in the morning, so it was just before Roberta's was opening for lunch, and it was very, very quiet. And then I switched to an evening recording, and then Roberta's was just starting to wake up and get into full swing, and there was a completely different energy and, and ambient sound to the space the thing that's interesting mm -hmm. about the shipping containers, it definitely, the repurposed shipping containers flows into the aesthetic of Roberto's Pizza, which is definitely reuse and environmentalism and green. And what mm -hmm. we may not realize sitting inside the studio is that outside the shipping container above us is actually garden space and planters. And they're using the tops of the shipping containers and other shipping container parts around the property um, to grow vegetables mm -hmm. and and herbs and things like that that they use in the pizza and in the restaurant so it's an interesting roberta's is a really interesting self-contained little food radio compound out in bushwick and if you find yourself out there and i definitely think it's also worth a little bit of a destination trip especially now that the l train is still working to go out there and see it and you can see the studio and we're back in the studio now which is wonderful yeah yeah, yeah, this Wednesday we're uh, we have people. Well, it's available for people to go back again. It was it was closed in January and February, but we've been we had a bunch of people come in through the fall, and it's been uh, quite nice. Yeah, I, I would say to anybody who's repurposing shipping containers for something in their life, the biggest the biggest challenge about that space is that we have used two, and the seam between them is the problem. Because <laughs> like one shipping container has settled at a different rate from the other one, and they like collect water <laughs> where the seam is. And we've <laughs> tried, they've tried to fix it 8 million times, but it keeps changing. So a single shipping container, very, very air and weather tight, a uh, <laughs> two or more, a collection of them, you, you might want to do a little extra engineering. It is interesting. And you noted that it um, has wood on the inside, so it's it's paneled sort of like a rec room, you know, wood paneling yeah. on the inside because the containers are actually metal. And when you see them from the outside, it's that striated old metal-looking container like you absolutely would yeah, see like in a movie from a, you know, a shipping container shot. Yeah, they look very normal from the outside, but much homier inside. And, of course, we've got, like, the speakeasy outfitting our bar in there those are actually southers that hold the cabinets so it feels very clubhousey inside but not what you would expect from the outside no so that's the heritage radio network studio and if you want to take a look at it we definitely have photos and some backstory at heritageradionetwork.org um, that's also where you can find more than 15,000 episodes. Today, this is Tech Bytes episode 258. So you can definitely go there and, and churn through a couple of hundred if you have downtime or a long commute and you're looking for some interesting things to listen to. I will also say um, 
a big, big, big thank you and shout out to everyone who has been a Heritage Radio Network member, especially since 2020, um, all of our supporters, the grants that have supported us, um, a number of you listening now are the reason why we still have that shipping container to go back to and why we can continue to make more radio. Um, so important. I know it seems like a small thing on um, days when there are really just cataclysmic and catastrophic things happening around the world on a much, much larger scale. Um, but sometimes bringing things to the human level and capturing stories and offering help and passing the mic and shedding a light on things um, is helpful and reminds us why we keep going. So we are in a converted shipping container at Heritage Radio Network, and the two companies that we're talking to today are actually brand new shipping container businesses. But it's really kind of interesting what you can do inside the space of a shipping container. Um, being a New Yorker, I live in Chelsea. My apartment is very small. I probably like maybe two or three shipping containers put together here. So it's also an interesting exercise in maximum efficiency. Um, today we have two companies. One is called Hyper Robotics, and we have the co-founder and CEO, Udi Shame, who is here with us. And Hyper Robotics is a pizza robot kitchen, self-contained. How futuristic does that sound? Joining him is um, the CTO of Freight Farms. Jake, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. So you are a Freight Farms, is, you know, world's leading manufacturer of container farming technology. And what does that mean? Well, that essentially means you've basically built a vertical hydroponic farm inside a box and you can take that box anywhere and plunk it down anywhere in almost any type of environmental condition or urban condition and you can grow things that people can eat inside that box. Is that pretty much what you guys are doing? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great explanation. Thanks, Jennifer. And, um, you know, I think... Some of the compelling things about the shipping container for us is we really started with the mission to uh, really revolutionize the access that people have to farming. And the container itself is actually critical to that mission because building our farm in a container allows that container to go anywhere in the world through the transportation system that's already been built. Um, and the container itself and the farm that's in it is turnkey. You know, we build it in our factory and we ship it anywhere in the world. So there's not much you have to do to set it up. And that farm is 99% more water efficient than traditional agriculture. And it's 98% more land efficient. We fit two to three acres of cropland into one shipping container. What's the acreage of a shipping container just for relativity? Uh, much less than an acre. It's 320 <laughs> square feet. Um, yeah, so for context, I guess, in terms of maybe what we could understand in going to the grocery store, uh, one shipping container can produce about 1,000 heads of lettuce per week. Per week? Wow. Per week, yeah. I, I, I don't even know, I don't know anyone who even wants, wants to eat that much salad on a weekly basis. 1,000 heads is a lot. Uh, well, most of our customers <laughs> are, uh, they're farmers, they're not gardeners, right? So... A lot of people will see the container and say, oh, I want one in my backyard, and they do more research, and they realize, you know, actually, I want one of these for my community. I want to feed the people around me. I want to sell to my local grocery store. I want to have a CSA, and that's how a lot of our customers get started. So did the, did the concept for Freight Farms, did it start with a shipping container, or did it start with the vertical hydroponic farming technology, and then where would you install this? Where would you build it? Did it start as we could just put it into a garage space or was it always intended to be self-contained and portable? So it, it actually started sort of pre-freight farms. We had two founders, John and Brad, um, and they started a company right before freight farms that was focused on building um, rooftop gardens, greenhouses. And what they essentially found from, from that effort was that the capital required and the difficulty of setting up a greenhouse on a roof, which feels like it should be really available urban space for local food, it's actually really, really hard. 
And so then they started looking around to try to figure out how they could make that process easier. And that's where they came upon, uh, upon the shipping container. It's a very interesting idea, um, moving, being able to bring a farm to a community or a place or a store or a restaurant. It sort of reverses the idea of farm to table that we've really uh, come to understand as being the ne plus ultra of like great dining and great responsibility for the environment and our food, bringing farm-grown things within a, you know, not too far radius to our table. Now you're bringing the farm to the table. Does that, from a from a impact sense or a point of view sense, it is, is there a local flavor, a local vibe, a local terroir when you just pick up a shipping container and plunk it into the middle of a community? I mean, that brings your farm right to your table, which is great, but it's really conceptually a very different idea of the farmer growing something in the land adjacent to where the table is. It, it really is a different idea, and I think it's, it's really fascinating. There's a bunch of different ways to think about impact as well. You know, I think there's, um, so I kind of want to break your question into two parts a bit. I think mm -hmm. um, the first part is a little bit of like, what can you grow in the farm to create your own local flavor? And our farm is, it's not just what's in the shipping container. There's also um, a large uh, and highly capable software platform that you get with that, that can help you develop recipes and create your own unique crops. We have farmers who work specifically on bringing out different traits in plants, different colors, um, you know, expressing the genes that are already present in those plants in different ways. So there's a lot going on there with the ability of the farmer to create something special. Uh, at the same time, when we talk about sustainability and impact, um, one way of looking at it is just in a pure carbon sense. Right, of like, is this more carbon impact or less carbon impact in our world that is getting heated up? Uh, one of the, I think, misconceptions about farm to table is that transport is a really important part of uh, impact from farming, but it's not actually the most dominant part. So um, water use is, and land use is some of the most dominant impacts from farming, and that's where our system really shines. Um, we also reduce transportation substantially, but that's more in like the 20% range of total impact. And so um, I do think there's a little bit of a misconception there. There's lots of other ways that we create impact too, though. And a big part of it is in bringing farms to not just to the table, but also to people who wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to farm in places that you wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to farm. And that might be the inner city it might be islands. We've got a lot of customers on islands because water is scarce and land is scarce. We have a lot of customers who are in the far north with communities that have really crazy delivery supply chains where you just can't get fresh food. Um, and by the way, the, the food that comes out of the freight farm can be kept fresh for much longer than food that's in the grocery because you can actually pick a living plant uh, and it can hold its freshness for much longer. Really just a fascinating idea, putting things into a container and then being able to move it around. Um, in terms of being able to cultivate a specific type of crop or specific items, you know, I have spent time on the West Coast in San Francisco, and one of the things I miss in New York City is the summer fruit. They have just amazing apricots and peaches and stone fruits in the summer. Could I build a, a container to produce something that was regionally from a completely different place? I mean, you probably can't grow trees in the shipping container, I'm realizing as I'm saying this, but. Yeah, so trees, no, um, or <laughs> I should say we haven't done it. Um, but the beauty of the container is that we can manipulate the environment to be pretty much like anywhere on Earth. Um, and the environment can be the soil, you know, the nutrients in the soil. It can be the humidity, the air temperature, the lighting conditions, um, the length of day. So, um, yeah, you can absolutely grow seeds that would only grow naturally in certain places. And there are many examples of that. Um, one that I really love is cloudberries. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're this 
specific berry that only grows in sort of northern Scandinavia, and it requires extremely acidic soil. Um, that's something that just doesn't grow most places in the world, and you're actually only allowed to forage them where they grow naturally because they're so rare. That's something that we're um, currently experimenting with, with growing, for instance. Um, on the other hand, you can think of it as just an enabler, right? Like, I, it, also in northern Scandinavia, you can't grow anything during the winter because it's dark out. Um, you can break that. So sort of picking the most extreme conditions and seeing if you can replicate them to grow the rarest things <laughs> as, a, as a challenge to the tech team. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I'm, I'm coming from the tech side here. <laughs> well, we are very tech friendly here. We do love technology. Um, if you're interested in taking a look at Freight Farms while you're listening to the episode, you can find them at FreightFarms.com or on social media at Freight Farms. It's really very interesting. Um, and then their sort of signature container is the Greenery S, which is vertical hydroponic farming. It's it's so interesting to think that you could just have one of these um, and make them. Um, just a, a absolutely fascinating. It makes me think of the future where, you know, everybody's living underground in a shopping mall kind of idea or, um, you know, in inclement weather where maybe, you know, you're in the North Pole where it's just snowing all the time or in a desert and then you can open up a container and, and have everything be like lush and garden, um, which is very sort of sci-fi movie. But in a, in a practical sense, what, what are some of the sort of just like very everyday practical uses um, that the containers are being used for now? And you're not just um, US-based, you have containers all over. Yeah, we have about... Um about 400, a little more than 400 containers deployed worldwide with all kinds of customers. Um, we have many customers who run their own farming businesses, and we also have customers in the educational uh, sector as well as nonprofits um, who use them for everything from education to um, farm at a woman's shelter um, to help feed the residents. So really people use them for all kinds of things. Um, but, you know, I'd say the, the majority of our farmers are running farming businesses with their containers, right? They're providing for their communities in a way that um, couldn't be previously done because they may not have land or they may not live in a place where it can support growing year-round. Um, by the way, in your, your comment about living underground, I think, I think of the container as both a climate change mitigation because it is very water and land efficient but also as a climate change adaptation, which is, you know, the world is changing really rapidly and we are going to need to figure out how we're going to grow food in 20 or 50 years. I, I think we need to figure out how we're growing food right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, yep. you know, not to, not to be facetious or too like cheeky, but there are so many things that are happening right now. And I mean, it would be an easy, um, an easy left turn to take and, and just completely change the, the nature of the show, which I don't want to do. But, you know, there are so many conflicting things right now. I recall very recently reading an article about, um, you know, almond milk and how, well, almond milk, it's so good. It's, it's good for you. It's, it's plant-based, it's not animal-based, the whole issue around dairy. Um, but then almonds are really, really difficult to grow for the environment in terms of how much water they require in the almond industry in California. And it's, you know, on the one hand, the packaging on the consumer side and the storyline that we have for consumers is, you know, almond milk is great for so many reasons. Um, but the flip side and the thing that we don't hear about quite as much is almonds are really, really uh, uh, an intense... Um, grow on the environment. So how do I balance that? Should I not be having almond milk because of the, even though it's good in all these ways, because it's not good in terms of how it is for the environment or, you know, so there's always a, a flip side to every coin, even when we're, you know, trying to be thoughtful or make progress in one area. Um, you know, there's always a flip side to that. So I think, you know, in one sense, the more consumer awareness we have, the more transparency we have, um, the better it is. Um, but then it's almost like you then make one set of decisions and feel good about them. And then you're confronted with another set of decisions that you have to make about the same thing. 
and where you go with that, you know, of course, is is a personal choice. Um, but I do think that those decisions about what's important to us, what p- parts of a product are important to us, um, have become sort of a little bit more urgent since the pandemic and when people are confronted with empty shelves and they stand in the grocery store and do I care about the environmental, organic um, aspect of something or do I just want to put something on the table for my family for dinner because that's what's most important and top of mind. So we're in a very interesting time right now, I think, um, with a lot of information and a lot of options um, and a lot of choices that people have to make. I mean, sometimes going to the grocery store can be a, a stressful thing. We will pivot into not having to go to the grocery store and talk to Udi Shamai, who is co-founder and CEO of Hyper Robotics. They are a self-contained robotic kitchen that makes pizza, which kind of sounds extremely miraculous. And I think it kind of is. When we think about the future, everybody thinks about the Jetsons and cartoons and um, robots and who doesn't want a pizza making robot? Uh, Udi, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. So you um, were working with a lot of um, the pizza and Pizza Hut restaurants, and what led you to build this robotic kitchen in a shipping container? Was it to make it like a ghost kitchen? Was it um, a, a, an interesting experiment? Was it to scale? Was it vending machines? I mean, we're seeing more and more vending machine and ghost kitchen technology now. What, what, what was the impetus to put robots into a shipping container to make pizza? Yeah, so the um, <clears throat> the shipping container, is, uh, the idea behind it is that it's a production unit. Uh, the fact that you can pack a full restaurant within a dense set up into a uh, a container uh, and can ship it anywhere you want as a as a production unit. You can ship it by by sea or by land, and it transfers very well. You can place it anywhere you want and plug it into four elements, and it's plug and play. Um, so as opposed to a regular restaurant where you have to find a location and then have to probably bring an architect there to and then build it up and then train people to work in this specific uh, restaurant. Uh, we took all this and, you know, erased it. And by having it in uh, one production unit and shipping it up in a, in a 40-foot container, we're actually uh, um, eliminating all these factors. So this is much easier and can be... And the big thing about it is that you can uh, scale up um, much, much quicker. I mean, it's, uh, if it took me uh, 15 years to build uh, 100 restaurants, I can do this uh, within three months now. Wow. 100 restaurants in three months. That is pretty amazing. I know anyone in the restaurant industry listening to this episode would just think, oh my gosh, impossible. In terms of the technology and the robots inside, the container making the pizza, did you have to create specific robotics for this project or did you assemble things that were already in existence that maybe you had to be reprogrammed or repurposed? Is it a combination of those things? One of the things that's so interesting about today is oftentimes people say we have all the available technology, we just need somebody to put it all together, or we have almost all the technology and we're waiting for this one more piece to be built or discovered to make it all come together. So I would be curious, um, is there that much robotic technology now that you just were able to put it all together? Or was there one or two specific things that you needed to build yourself? Yes, Jennifer. So the, uh, the, um, it's, it's, it's a mix, but most of the, uh, Elements are proprietary, designed, and built uh, for this specific mission. So obviously, uh, there are uh, there are machines that uh, manufacture pizzas, you know, today. Uh, but um, what we do, what we did is uh, we designed a specific uh, um, a specific robots. Now the robots, it, it is a big difference between robotics. And automation. So, and people get mixed with this. Uh, so, uh, robots are uh, are easier. 
uh, in terms of rappers and uh, uh, because uh, the idea behind it is that it it imitates human moves uh, and it's uh, it's very uh, I'd say uh, less efficient uh, while automation is very efficient because it saves uh, space uh, and it's much faster. So the idea behind uh, designing such a such a a robotic, I say, automation, automated autonomous restaurant is that you need to design a real, something really efficient. Uh, and, and, you know, people ask me, uh, you know, about regular stores. So we make free right now 50, 60 pizzas an hour. And they say, do you think that uh, how, how, how much is a, a regular restaurant is doing? And I say, people are faster. So pe- people are faster than than what we do now because uh, in this uh, in the prototype version we use a lot of arms, robotic arms. Uh, but in V1, the version that is coming uh, to the states now, uh, we, we we took forearms out, so it's much more automate automated and there's much more automation uh, in the uh, actual restaurant than uh, than the arms. And I think that that, that will we'll make much faster. We go up to 100 and maybe more pizzas an hour. Um, so yes, it's a mix of, uh, of uh, elements like arms that you can buy off the shelf, uh, plus a lot of automation that is uh, proprietary made uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the restaurant itself. I'm surprised to hear that people are faster. I think I would assume that the the robots and the automation would be faster, but is the difference in that a person could make more pizzas faster, but a person's not going to stand there for 24 hours and never stop making pizzas? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and people, uh, I mean, when you look at the, uh, we're talking about peak time, like, you know, people are doing a make line of a minute, a minute and a half. Uh, so that's, that's pretty fast, but, if you look at uh, if you look at a person who can do a lot smarter things than doing something that a robot can do, so uh, the first hour in the, in the shift doesn't look like after eight hours it's not the same job uh, because we're all humans and you know we get tired and you know things. Are, so it's it's a bit it's a bit uh, uh, it's a bit different. Uh, obviously, uh, as you look at the uh, the time over the shift, you know, and uh, the kind of work people are doing. Um, the machine doesn't really care if it's the first hour or the, the eighth hour. Um, it doesn't have to go anywhere and uh, it works in work 24 7. Uh, so, yes, it's, uh, the, the, the machine automated, it could be a lot more faster than person. But right now, you know, it's, a, was a, it's the first version. Uh, and it's doing 50, 60 an hour. 50, 60 an hour is something a person, uh, a good worker, can 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 do faster in the peak hour. Um, so uh, I mean, <laughs> just so interesting. We are going to take a quick break and find out who the sponsor of this episode is. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and sponsors like this one. Stay with us. I've been covering food tech since 2015 and have seen a lot of companies pitching functional beverages. Most of the time, they're just caffeine with add-ons. Magic Mind is a mix of 12 functional and natural ingredients, including ceremonial-grade matcha, nootropics, adaptogens, and lion's mane mushrooms that extend your energy and help you fight off stress. I took the Magic Mind 14-day challenge, drinking the two-ounce shot alongside my morning coffee. And I'm always skeptical, but did notice a good energy throughout the day that carried into the next day and the next. I was actually surprised how much I liked the overall effect, the energy, and the focus. Use my 20% off discount at magicmind.co slash HRN. Use the discount code HRN when you order. And on the fine print, Magic Mind is gluten-free, paleo and keto-friendly, and 100% natural. 
The company has a zero carbon footprint and a no questions asked money back guarantee on your first purchase. Purchase at magicmind.co slash HRN. You are listening to Tech Bytes, the show on Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is inside a shipping container. Heritage Radio Network Studios are inside two repurposed shipping containers in Roberta's Pizza out in Bushwick, Brooklyn. So we thought it would be a great idea to look at what else people are doing inside shipping containers. It's no surprise pizza is one of them. We love pizza. We're talking with Udi Shamai from Hyper Robotics. If you want to take a look at what they do, go to hyper-robotics.com. You can find them on social media at hyper underscore food underscore robotics. It's pizza robots. Pretty amazing. Also joining us is Jake Felser, who is the CTO of Freight Farms. You can find them at freightfarms.com and on social media at Freight Farms. They are a manufacturer of container farming technology. It's a vertical hydroponic farm in a shipping container that can go anywhere, which is also pretty amazing. Both of you, uh, you know, you are self-contained, both of the ideas self-contained, doing something, and... You know, with the freight farms idea, you you extract the requirement of of dealing with the environment. With the hyper robotics, you're also sealed away from the environment, which is an interesting idea. Um, how important is it for each of your products to be completely closed off and contained from the outside world and and the environment? Jake, let's start with you. Sure. I mean, I think. It's, it's important for two reasons. Um, the first reason being that uh, if, you're, if you're not closed off, it's a lot harder to control what's going on inside the container, which makes it a lot harder to um, allow you to run the recipe. And uh, what that means in practice is like, you know, it, if we didn't close off from the outside, it might be too warm or too cold and you might have a hot day and your lettuce might go to seed um, and that that wouldn't work, right? You wouldn't get a repeatable harvest. Uh, another example is like if it's negative 30 Fahrenheit outside, which is a real situation that our farms end up in, um, obviously that environment is not going to be conducive to growing. On the other hand, um, you know, I definitely understand that consumers, especially in the sort of farm to table philosophy, you know, are interested in what their local environment is creating. The terroir, to, as it were, right? Yeah. What's in the soil exactly. and the dirt and the air, the, the flavor and characteristics that that gives to everything from wine to apples to herbs. To, to lettuce, yeah. And the way I think about that, and I think the way Freight Farms thinks about that is really that... Um, it's partially about the environment, but it's largely about the people, you know, and you talked about sort of having this really muddy environment from the consumer side right now, where you're unsure of whether the choices you're making in the grocery store are the right ones, the responsible ones. And I think when you, when you know the person who is providing your food, that really helps cut through that noise a lot. And so to us, I think that's just really important. Interesting. So the human element always comes back to the human element. We talk a lot on this show about how technology leads us to an analog real life experience, mostly oftentimes with other people. Um, do you think there's a time in the future where terroir is simply a piece of code or a program or a characteristic you select when you're figuring out what you want to grow? Are you going to be pinpointing things in time? I'm sure if you talk to winemakers who are sitting on generations and generations of land um, that go back for hundreds of years, they can probably talk about the evolution of the terroir and, and how that impacted the wine. Are you, you mentioned that you can recreate different environments from different geographies in the world. Are you 
noting the time also. Is there a difference between the Cloudberry environment from today and the Cloudberry environment from 200 years ago? You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we're focused so much on time right now, much more in conditions, but I, I absolutely think that reality is coming, um, both in produce production and in lots of other places, right? There are companies already that are working on generating um, wine flavors based on specific historical vintages, right? And I think, unfortunately, the way I see it evolving right now is that true terroir, that is terroir that comes from the land, is is just going to become something that is a real privilege when you actually get to access it. Um, and it will be reproduced in many places um, via pieces of code, whether that is wine or fruit or vegetables or whatever you're, you're eating. Such an interesting idea. We've had a number of plant-based protein product food technology companies on the show over the years. And um, you know, people are are doing plant-based um, foods for different reasons, but they predominantly fall into environmental categories. And um, environmental followed by, you know, sort of animal ethics. And, you know, I often ask all of them the same question of, are you hopeful or is your end goal that, you know, if, if you're the maker of a plant-based ice cream or a plant-based sausage, that your hope is that at some point dairy-based ice cream is just something we read about in books. And the thing that everybody understands is ice cream is a plant-based product. And oftentimes the answer is yes. So it would be interesting to think about everything being grown in shipping containers and being able to program in, you know, um, upstate New York apple farm <laughs> for what you want and then get that because that doesn't, that's not a thing that's alive in the world anymore. Yeah, but as someone who grew up in upstate New York and, and picked apples every season as a kid, I mean, that experience is, is also really valuable for its own sake. So, I mean, I do think the world will end up in a place where um, you can get the nostalgia in the food without it being in that actual place. But, you know, I, I, um, I hope we still have some of those experiences. Is a shipping container very different from a greenhouse? I mean, could you just open up a big, like, greenhouse theme park where it's like, come and pick apples for the day. Pretend, you know, <laughs> pretend it's 2020 Ithaca, New York. Come and pick apples. <laughs> I, I am from Ithaca, actually, by the way. Um, Perfect. See, I'm psychic. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, so greenhouse and shipping container are different. So there's a distinction between sort of fully controlled environment agriculture and, and somewhat controlled environment agriculture, where a greenhouse, um, often they don't control the uh, light as precisely. They often also don't control CO2 or like atmospheric conditions as precisely. Um, they do control like temperature and humidity, but there's limits. So like greenhouse has a lot of trouble in really snowy places because you have to deal with snow on the roof and stuff like that. So it's definitely a, a really important, the greenhouse is really important, but it is um, a bit different than the shipping container and other sort of pure play CEA concepts. What does that mean, CEA? Controlled environment agriculture. So um, a concept like plenty as opposed to a concept like app harvest, for instance, where one mm -hmm. is a greenhouse and one is truly indoors. Okay. Udi, your... Pizza kitchens are completely closed off and they're completely isolated from any type of human interaction, any outdoor interference. And you were saying some very interesting things about what kind of environment that results in and potentially what makes it even more interesting when we look at it through the lens of the pandemic and, and the world that we're living in today and probably will be for the future. Yes, yeah, so we are. I'd say that, uh, first of all, it's extremely important. Uh, and also all, uh, every uh, aspect we looked at, you know, when we designed the store, and not just the uh, pizza store, but also now that we're designing the burger store, there's always uh, the most important thing was, uh, uh, beside the fact, you know, that we're doing it, you know, the efficiency and all that was the fact that you got to be environmentally friendly. And there's three issues to it. The first one was 
about not using any chemicals, which was, uh, I think you're referring to that, that we are uh, we're using uh, ozone water, that, that uh, we have a CIP system uh, in the store that cleans it, the store cleans itself every 40 minutes. So we're cleaning only with the zone water and it's a uh, zone controlled, air controlled. So uh, in these teams, um, it's, um, there's no chemicals and it's very safe. Like uh, in terms of uh, QA, uh, the quality assurance is, uh, is uh, very high. Uh, and I want to say uh, bulletproof, but it's very, very high in every turn. The other thing was that we are using electricity, uh, so it's uh, that was uh, one of our uh, terms was that we have to take uh, um, we, we got to do it electric. Um, and the third thing was, and it's very important for everybody to understand that there's a there's a huge uh, waste coming out of fast food restaurants and there's so much uh, food thrown every day. And we, we, we thought that if everything would be very accurate, we're gonna save on waste. And that was a major issue. Um, you can read about it in LinkedIn. We, we, we did a whole research about it, but the idea behind it was that uh, efficiency and, and being very accurate, you throw less foods. Um, and that is that is, that is the third thing we did. So all of all of these two were were, were just uh, on top of our mind when when we designed uh, the store, um, and when we achieved all three of them. It's a interesting and reassuring thing, I think, for people to have the idea that their food is being produced in a very um, well contained. Um, I'm going to say clean environment without any, you know, bacteria or any of those types of things. It's a, it's a very appealing concept right now, especially if it can be fast and especially if it's pizza. The whole idea of creating um, new ways of doing things in containers that make them portable, that make them accessible to everyone. It's a really interesting idea. I wonder if, you know, in the future, our lives are then just like giant modules stacked up of like, here's the pizza container, here's the garden container, here's the movie container. <laughs> Maybe we already do live that way. It's just not as clearly defined. It's an yes. interesting idea. Um, well, both freight farms and hyper-robotics, I mean, they're already quite futuristic, um, even though it's the business that you do every day. So for you all, it's it's just, you know what life is like. But I think for some listeners, and certainly when I think about it, it, it seems futuristic to me. But what actually do you see in the future? What are you actually working on as the next evolution for freight farms? And what are you working on as the next evolution of hyper-robotics? Jake, can you tell us without um, you know, violating some sort of you know, company confidentiality what the future of freight farms is looking like? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, remember our core mission is to to make farming more accessible for more people. So, you know, our product roadmap is fundamentally to um, to do that, right? It's to make the farm easier, to make the operations easier, to make it so more people can do it and impact their own communities, um, you know, to create smaller and bigger versions of the farm that work for everybody and really get this into as many hands as possible. And what I would, would say is a a parting note, perhaps because I see we're out of time, is you know we've got farms in 49 states and 35 countries, and if you're listening to this, go find the farm closest to you and and buy some produce from them. Can you find them on your website? How would people find them? Um, that is a great question. Uh, many of our farms are on our Instagram. Uh, we feature farmers all the time. Um, some have their own websites. Uh, I believe we do have a map on our website as well. Perfect. So the website is freightfarms.com. Instagram is at freightfarms, all one word. Um, Udi, tell us what is the future of hyperrobotics? So uh, we're, we're, we're developing uh, some more uh, verticals, like uh, um, we're developing in June, we'll introduce uh, the burger, burger restaurant, and we're going for bowl food. And then uh, we have some other verticals that we're looking at. So the future looks uh, like uh, more different 
kinds of uh, restaurants we make for different brands. Uh, there's one more important thing I wanted to uh, to emphasize. It's that my future, the way I, I vision it is that the prices of the of the fast food is are going to go down, and that's that's good for the consumer because uh, so this efficiency will create pressure on the price, and the prices will will drop because um, this is the real competition. And uh, so that that is that you have we need to mention that when we're looking at the future of how robotics are going to influence and robotic foods are going to influence the. Uh, the world uh, restaurant business. Well, we will find out. And I think um, it's something people are interested in. Again, I mean, it's definitely cinematic um, and perhaps a little romantic to think about robots. Um, good ones that make pizza. I want to thank uh, Udi Shmai of Hyper Robotics for coming on, along with Jake Felser from Freight Farms. I want to thank Matt Patterson, who is our head of audio production and the Tech Bytes engineer for coming on and talking about what you can do in a shipping container. It's an interesting idea. It's a lot of fun. Maybe we'll do more shipping container episodes in the future. If you have an interesting idea for a show, please reach out and get in touch. We're very interactive. You can find us on social media at TechBytesHRN, or you can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. You can also go there and find 257 episodes of TechBytes. If you're looking for more interesting stories, ideas, founders, shipping containers, gardens, we also have 15,000 plus episodes in our collective archive. You can find us also on your favorite podcasting platform. Find us there, subscribe, leave us an amazing five-star review, and come back and see us again next week. I'm Jennifer Liuzzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>